So this semester at RUF, we're looking at encounters that Jesus has with people throughout John's gospel. And we've looked at five of them so far. Here we are in week six, and we're going to get another one. Um, We've looked at Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, who is a very religious man, and how Jesus interacted with him. Then the next week, we went down a much different path with this uh, Samaritan woman who had lived kind of very irreligious, in some level, very immoral lifestyle, and what it is that Jesus said to her. Last week, we looked at uh, Jesus as he... Uh, was, was talking to a group of people. And, and time and time again, one of the themes that comes up again and again in John's gospel is Jesus talks about being the life or being eternal life. And we're going to kind of dive into that tonight and go a little deeper with that. But in order to set that up, I want us to think of something that's very common and ordinary in your world. Uh, it's your phone. But beyond your phone, it's all the apps on your phone. So think about it. If you're sitting there looking at your phone and you have it unlocked, on that home screen right there, there all, are all sorts of different things that are kind of this, you know, properly sized little cube or little square thing right there. And now, you don't just look at your home screen and look at the apps and say, wow, like that's a really cool graphic they chose to display right there. That's a really cool picture. I like the color scheme. That would be stupid. You don't stare at your home screen. What you do is when you want to go deeper into one of those things, you touch it. You click on the app or you put your finger over it, and it enters you into this whole world of information. It's like a portal. It it is a portal of sorts to another realm. Think of it uh, another way like this. If you're walking across campus on the way to class or to ACAC or whatever it is or the cafeteria, and you see somebody across the way, not really close to you, but just kind of over there, you see that person, you see their physical characteristics, guy or girl, long, short hair, uh, light skin, dark skin, whatever it may be, And you perceive them in that way kind of one-dimensionally. You see the physical characteristics of them. But that is decidedly different than if you were to walk over to them, introduce yourself, and get into a conversation. And then beyond that, if you were to actually have a relationship with them, they would take even more depth. And there would be more complexity to who they are. Clicking on an app opens, opens the realm into a whole new existence. Talking to someone in relationship you realize there's a whole lot of meaning. There's depth. There's personality and character there. In this passage tonight with Jesus, we see this very thing at work. I'm going to read um, this miracle account of Jesus. It's probably one of his most famous miracles. He feeds 5,000 men. They just count the men uh, for a whole bunch of reasons, which means there there might be upwards of 20,000 people in this field, in this kind of hillside, that Jesus feeds miraculously. With bread and fish. But what Jesus does is he goes on to explain what that miracle meant. And it's as if Jesus is like clicking on himself and saying, There is so much more depth here than you even know. That once you get to know me, you will see that I am doing so much more than feeding people. I am certainly doing that. And Jesus certainly cares about physical needs. He's saying, There's more at work here. So with that said, let's look at this passage. We'll read it and we'll talk about it. John chapter 6, starting verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat down with his disciples. 
Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this uh, to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each one of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled the twelve baskets with fragments and the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that had been done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. Down in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got in the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do? What must what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is God's Word. For our time tonight, we're going to focus basically on that last verse right there, which is up on the screen, the very last verse of the whole thing. Because in it, it is the app. It is the person. It is the one-dimensional thing that Jesus just loads full of meaning. And so we're going to kind of camp out there and see if we can expand it some. So right there, the first point I want us to look at is just simply the idea of the bread. Now, that's kind of the whole, that's the whole controlling metaphor for this passage. It's actually bread whenever he takes the bread and feeds the people with it. But later here in his kind of explanation of that, his little mini sermon on this, Jesus picks up this idea of bread and starts packing it full of meaning. So what I want to do is I want to, I want to unpack that. And a fair amount of this information came from Tim Keller um, and his work on this passage. So, again, just giving credit where it's due. But let's think about this. For ancient people in general back then, bread, the idea and concept of bread, 
Um, that was the heart of the meal. Bread even symbolized life itself. It was common. It was a staple. It was kind of the everyday thing that people would eat. Now, we may go to the store, or when Sarah and I go to the store, kind of the things that we get every time are milk and bread and eggs and cheese. That's because we're American and we eat lots of milk and egg and bread and cheese. But if you were kind of in most other parts of the world, bread is just like, that's it. And bread's part of what we do. Bread is so common for them. Um, this, uh, this Monday, I had flown into Dallas for some meetings I had down there, and my plane was landed there at a ridiculous hour. I think I landed at 6.30, I got a car, and I was driving on the way to a meeting, and there was this like hole-in-the-wall taco shop. I was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to have for breakfast. So I pulled in there and ordered three breakfast tacos, and I sat down, breakfast, 7 a.m. What do they bring with it? Chips, because that's what you get at a Mexican food restaurant is chips. So there I am at 7 eating chips, tortillas, chips. It's common in Mexican food, in American food, right? What are we known for? French fries. Like the fatty, high-sodium, worst thing for you ever, French fries. Like that, there's nothing more American than French fries. In that culture, there was nothing more that than bread. Bread was everything. It was common. Jesus said... Give us this day our daily bread. That's how he taught his disciples to pray. Now, for the Israelites, so that's kind of the broader region over there. Bread was everything. But for the Israelites, for the Jewish people, when they heard the word bread, when they thought about bread, there were two additional things that they thought about. And the first one was this, and it's mentioned in the passage, this idea of manna from heaven. This is what they're talking about in verse 31. They say, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And what they're referring to is back in in the book of Exodus, after the people of Israel had been brought out of Egypt, uh, they got out kind of into the wilderness, this, this barren land, and guess what? They started to be hungry. And so they started complaining to Moses and saying, Oh, God brought us out here to kill us. We don't have anything to eat. And even in the midst of their complaining, God did what? He provided for them. Manna from heaven. Manna was just this wafer like stuff that came every morning miraculously. And it said it was just like the morning dew. It was all over the ground. And so people would go and they would gather it up and they would take it in and they would eat enough for that day, but they were not supposed to get more than that day. It was a daily sustenance. They were taught through that 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 manna was their provision. It was God's way of saying, you got to trust me. You can't get more than today's. you got to trust me that I'm going to show up again tomorrow and give you more manna. What's he saying? I will provide for you. I will be enough for you. This bread that I give you will be your sustenance. But secondly, there's, there's this idea of the bread of presence, or you might have said the, the show bread. Now, what is that? Well, after uh, the Israelite people made it through the wilderness uh, and into the promised land, God, did, God told them to build a temple. And there was a tabernacle also, but in the temple... There was this bread of presence. There was this table where God said that every Sabbath day, so for them, every Saturday, before the people would come in and worship, the priests were to to make fresh bread, 12 loaves of it, and set it in the temple. So that when the people came in, they would smell this aroma of fresh bread. Now, Now, what was happening there? We could go on on this for a long time, but I'll just say it quickly. 
It's not all that different than if you were to have some people over to your apartment for dinner. Or if Sarah and I were going to have some of y'all over for dinner, just like we did last night in Real Meal. You come over and we make food and we prepare things for you. It invites you in. It's a sign of friendship and hospitality to bring people in. And so when when the, the priest would set out this bread in the temple and the wafting smell of fresh bread would be welcoming them in, it was to remind them, yes, God used bread in the wilderness to bring you out and sustain you, but He's more than just your provider. He's your friend. He welcomes you into His presence. You belong here, is what that picture would say. So, with those concepts floating around in the minds of the listeners there, look at verse 27. Jesus looks at them and says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So what's He telling them? He's grabbing, as it were, He's grabbing their phones and He's clicking on it and saying, Okay, the the food that you just ate over there by by the river, by the lake on the hillside... Let me tell you what that is pointing to. Yes, I care about your physical needs, but let me tell you about your deeper needs. He's grabbing and he's pointing on it. And he's saying that that is food that perishes. I'm going to show you food and I'm going to tell you about food that lasts forever. That endures, he says. So they responded and said, what? In verse 28. Jesus says, work for the food that that, that endures. And they say in verse 28, "Well, well, what is the work? What are we supposed to do? How do we get that? And what does Jesus say to them? Look down right there. Verse 29 following. He said, don't go to fraternity parties. Don't cheat on your homework. Don't get angry at your roommate for bringing her friends in and getting in all your crap. Don't be bitter at people who have more than you do. Don't do all those bad things your parents told you not to do. Don't look at porn. Don't get drunk. There, I said it. Go do all of those things, and that's the work that God wants you to do to get the bread that endures. It's right there. Except it's not. He says, this is the work of God. That you believe in Him whom God has sent. And according to verses 30 and 31, this is not the answer they want. Can I look down at those with me? <laughs> They're like, okay, so can you do something? Like, what's your sign that you're going to do to show that you're, that you're the one? The, many of these people have just been fed miraculously by Him on the other side of the lake. And they're saying, can you show us something? Like, can you give us a sign to prove that you're the real deal? Honestly, um, they didn't like that answer, and we actually don't like that answer very much. We don't like that Jesus kind of points them to himself and says, you've got to believe in me. There's a really terrible, awful dad joke that pastors use. Could there be a more lame joke? I don't know. But it goes like this. Um, it's like something that pastors say to each other and you kind of like ha, 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 laugh like that. So it goes like this. Hey, how's ministry going? And I would respond and say, well, it's great except for the people. <laughs> because what? Because ministry is all about people. Like it's not just the computer in me. That's not ministry. I mean, in some cases, I guess it is. That's not what I do. I meet with people. We talk. It's all about people. That would be kind of like saying, yeah, I like Christianity, I just don't like the believing part. It'd be great if it wasn't for the trusting part. Like, that's the whole thing. And we actually, 
would like it if, maybe if it was more like a checklist. If Jesus had come and said, look, if you will just do these things, whatever those list of things may be for you, if you would just be a good person, if you just go to church or, or find a campus ministry or join a small group or have some accountability or read the Bible or pray or go to the missions conference or, or something, like if you just do that stuff, then that would be the work that endures through eternal life. Then you will have life. That is not what he said. He said, you've got to believe in Him whom God has sent. So what happens next? Jesus takes them deeper into the app. He takes them deeper into that portal of meaning. He says, truly, truly, verse 32, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And that goes right to our second point. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he says that in the response of, Give us this bread. And he says, I'm the bread. I'm the bread. There's nothing else that you need outside of who I am and what I've done. And I want us to look at two aspects of that. First, I want us to look at the the latter part of that phrase. I am the bread of life. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. What is he saying? He's connecting something to something that's already been said, that he's already said in verse 27. There he said, I'm the food that endures to eternal life. And now he's saying, I am the bread that endures to eternal life. That thing that you want that you got so excited about a minute ago, that's me. So what is this life thing? In, um, in, in the Greek language, I don't use this to impress you. I use this because this is how you understand this passage. There are two words available for the word life. One of them is bios. You recognize that uh, from biology to biosphere, uh, bio, anything is about life. The other word available in the Greek language is the word zoe. Zoe. And, and Tim Keller, as he talks about this and explains it, he says that the difference between bios and zoe is the difference between existing bios and living zoe. So one just speaks to kind of the material function of life, the bios. The other is what we think about in terms of living. We all want to live. We don't just want to exist. Neither did Hannah Montana, did she? 2007 hit song, This is the Life. She says, it goes like this. This is the life, hold on tight. Sing if you want to. And this is the dream, it's all I need. You never know where you'll find it. And I'm going to take my time, yeah. I'm still getting it right. This is the life. Um, okay, that was the worst. But um, how about this? In those moments where you kind of have a moment to yourself and you start thinking, man, what would really make me happy? You think things like this, no homework, 75 degrees except sunny. Uh, Maybe snow-capped mountains and fresh powder with a few friends. Maybe uh, a great meal uh, with your family. Maybe uh, a lake and a boat and a wakeboard or a tube. Like, whatever that is, that's not even getting it, Zoe. 
Take those joyful things, but take the deeper stuff of life. What do we all really want? What do we want that like really we think will satisfy at a deep level? We want friendships. We want relationships. We want to know that we belong to a group or that someone cares about me or that that I'm being thought about. We want a satisfying career maybe. We want to know that our life matters and has purpose and that we're moving towards something and not just spinning our wheels. Um, We may want... um, We may want marriage. We may want someone that actually says, "I not only do I like you, I want to be with you forever. These deep things that that you think of, that you kind of latch on to, that you really think, I mean, if I could have that, then I would be living. Like, that is what I want. That is the life. When Jesus comes here and says, I am the bread of life, He says, I am the bread of Zoe. I am the bread that gives you deep existential purpose and meaning and fullness. You want to do more than exist? Come and take me. There's another aspect of this. Because when He talks about this life, up up ahead of it, Uh, In the passage, it said that this is eternal life. It's the bread that lasts, the bread that endures. So what about that? Uh, Verse 35. He says, so whoever comes and whoever believes in me. And we think eternal life, and John loves this phrase, eternal life. When we hear that word eternal, zoe, eternal life, what we think naturally is, yeah, that's sometime in the future, at some point in eternity, My life will be that deep, rich, meaningful experience that I dream about. But, why would Jesus use those present tense verbs in verse 35 if he's simply saying, yeah, some future day it'll be awesome? No, what he's saying is that eternal life has a quality to it that is available to you today. Think about it like this. Um, there was an old cartoon when I was a kid. It was Wiley E. Coyote and the Roadrunner. Anybody? Oh, yes. I was so doubting y'all would know that. Okay, so like the quintessential fail in Wiley E. Coyote versus the Roadrunner is what? It was the anvil that Wiley E. Coyote would tie around his waist and it would get thrown off a cliff of sorts and it would pull him over and he'd fly over to his cloud of dust. He never died. It was just a cloud of dust. Okay, eternal life, when Jesus uses this phrase and talks about it, it's like he's wrapping the eternal life loop around you and he's throwing it off the cliff and it's pulling you forward. If you're in Christ, you are going toward that day, except there's more, that when he is at the other end of it and you're tied to it, he is energizing that rope and it's sending it back to you and it's affecting you now. That that one day eternal life that's going to be true in its fullness actually gets imported into the present by the Holy Spirit so that you begin to have the deep, meaningful existence now, no matter your circumstances. Now, catch that. It won't be fully true until later, but it begins to be true now because that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He is coming and making future things true of you in the present. So that's the aspect of life. But what else does Jesus say here? He says, I am 
the bread of life. I am the bread of that eternal life. Jesus doesn't point outside of himself to to an external code or a religious path or, or a moral system or anything. He points to himself and says, I am where you find that. Now, I know that looks obvious right there in that passage. How many of y'all uh, study Spanish? Got any Spanish studies? Raise your hand high. I need to. This is important. Okay. So, if you've studied Spanish, and even if you haven't, I'm sure other languages work like this. If you want to say, I am hungry, you say what? Tango hambre. Right? Pretty simple. Hambre, not the hair fade. Hambre means hunger. Right? So you say, tango hambre, and everyone who speaks Spanish knows that means I am hungry. Now, what could you also say? Yo, tango hambre, right? You could say, I have hunger. So, but you can omit it. It's not a big deal. Same thing happens in the Greek language. You can just use the verb with the right ending on it, and it means, I am the bread of life. But here's the difference. In Greek, the way this language works, whenever you use more words than less, it's always for a reason. And it's always emphatic. And also another thing that really matters is where you put the verb in the sentence. In the Greek language, you can have a whole bunch of nouns, but the verb can be thrown at the end. However, whatever is at the beginning of the sentence is like the flashing lights. Pay attention to this. It's their way of underlining stuff. What does the beginning of this say in in Greek? I am. Ego eimi. John is spelling it out because Jesus spelled it out. He is trying to get them to see that he is claiming to be the very thing they need. But there's more than that. Because when Jesus says, I am, every single Jewish person in that audience, whoever was listening, would have picked up from their writing notes or whatever, and they would have looked up at him and said, what? Did he just, did he just say, I am? Because here's the deal. In the Old Testament, the way that God revealed himself, when, when Moses was trying to figure out who God was, God came to Moses and said, I am. That's the name he gave himself, Yahweh. He took a, a form of the verb to be, and he said, I am. And what that means is that God is saying, I am the person that exists from before, uh, before the foundation of the world. I am without limit. I am without age. I go on forever and ever. Time can't contain me. Space can't contain me. I just am. And friends, when Jesus shows up and says it right here in seven other places in the book of John, he is making a definitive statement. How do I know this? Because in chapter 8, which we'll look at in a couple weeks... Jesus is in a religi- uh, an argument with the religious people, the Pharisees, and, and he's talking to them, and they're talking to him about Abraham, their hero and their patriarch. And Jesus looks at them and he says this, Before Abraham was, I am. Here's what they heard. Before Abraham was, let's be clear, I'm God. I am your daddy. And what did they do? They picked up stones and tried to kill him. Jesus knew what he was saying. He was looking at them and saying, I am your God. And he's looking at all the people in this passage saying, I am God. I am the bread of life. I am what you need the most. So, okay, Jesus, they're out in the crowd thinking, that's hard to believe, Jesus, but, but help us. How do we get God into us? The metaphor's breaking down. Like, it doesn't make sense. Do we eat you? Like, what does this mean? 
How do we ingest you and get the bread of life into us? How does the finite take in the infinite? How does the temporal take on the eternal? How does the elephant get into the dollhouse and not crush it, Jesus? Tell us. Think about how everything that we eat has to die before we eat it. If you want bread, what has to die? The wheat, the barley, the little nuts that are in the good kind of bread. Um, Everything that goes to make food, it has to die. It has to be disconnected from its source of life. Otherwise, it's still out in the field growing. If you want to eat meat, the animal has to die. If you want to eat eggs, that egg, baby egg in there, that's, that's a thing, not just an egg. That little baby chicken has to die. If we want to take it into us so that we can live, something has to die. In the person of Jesus, God is saying, so that you can live, I'm going to come die. Friends, that's what the cross is all about. Jesus gets up on the cross as God and as man. And he says, I have to come up here and be broken so that you can take me in and be whole. God puts on flesh and says, I'm going to be crushed so that you can be made right and healed and live. That's what the cross means. That's what the cross is doing. But it's even better than that, actually. Because Jesus says, not just that I'm the bread, not just that I'm going to to die so that you can live one day forever. He says, I am the bread of life that satisfies He who eats of me, he who takes me, will never hunger again. He who believes in me will never thirst again. He's saying there is a real life, present application to all of this. What is it, Jesus? Tell us, what does it mean? If you take me, your life can begin to be healed. It can begin to be sustained and nourished right now. I want us to think about three different different aspects to Jesus' bread, Him being the bread of life and that satisfying us. I've mentioned a few of them. I'm going to dig in a little bit on this. We're here at TU. Uh, Thankfully, you're the one studying and not me because I probably wouldn't be here at TU. Um, But you're here because you're capable. You're here because you're smart. You're here because you brought a really impressive resume to the table. And what that means for most of you is that, that you really do care about your career. You really do care about your life trajectory. Some of you, like, you're a year in and you're freaking out because it's not what you thought. It's okay. Take a deep breath. Get out of the fetal position. Jesus loves you. Um, But most of you really do care about that. And some of you think like this. If I can make all of the right and best grades right now, then I will get to the right grad school. So then I can end up in the right career. So that then, one day, someday, I will be happy. That's what I need, you think. That's what I've decided I need in order to be deeply fulfilled and happy. And friends, to take what Jesus is saying and apply it to that looks like this. Jesus is saying, I already am giving you what you need most. You think you're going to find purpose and meaning in a career. You can have purpose and meaning right now in who I say that you are. You're a child, and I'm bringing you into my kingdom. And that's your life purpose, is you're to live for me and for the, for the growth of the kingdom. You're being transformed from someone who is looking at themselves and consumed with everything that you are or think that you should be or think that you want to be. And you're being transformed from that into someone who lives for the good of others. Someone who is freed up from self so that you can be a blessing to people. That is your biggest purpose. 
And yes, you can have a great job and you can have a great career. But be very clear about it. It won't satisfy you all the way down. It never was meant to. Only I can do that, Jesus says. What about relationships? You think if I can just get good enough friends or or be in that friend group or if I can just have a boyfriend or girlfriend or a husband or wife, then I'll be happy. Then my life will be fulfilled. This is what I thought. I, I am all in on this one right here. Career, I was eh. Like, I just thought if I can find a hot wife, then we can make some babies and probably live in a house with a little picket fence, have a car or two. Like, it's going to be good. So, Jesus, if you could sign on the contract here, then we'll do business. And Jesus says, well, that's not how it works. I'm the contract. If you want to sign up for me, I'll... I'll fill you. I will satisfy you all the way down in a way that no relationship or relationships could ever do. I will give you meaning. I will tell you that I already love you and accept you. I'm not going to wait on you to perform or be funny enough or good looking enough or whatever. I will take you as you are. And yeah, relationships are great and marriage is a great thing. Can be. But it won't satisfy you. Jesus says, I will. Thirdly, Appearance. You think if I could just, uh, if I could just be a little more put together, if I could look a little different, if I could be a little skinnier or a little bigger, or if I could just have a little bit nicer clothes, then I wouldn't be so insecure. I wouldn't be so self-conscious. I wouldn't be so depressed about who I actually am or anxious about who I'm not and want to be. If I could just have those things, if I could just get my life together a little more or be a little more presentable, then I would be satisfied. To bring the gospel into your life right now means Jesus is saying, hey, those things are fine. Those things are fine. I I hope that that your life can be together in some ways and I hope you can be comfortable in your own skin, but, but be clear about it. I'm the only thing that can melt your insecurity. I'm the only thing that can utterly take away your your insecurities and your self-consciousness. I'm the bread of life. I'm the only thing that satisfies. The emotional swings... Look, if you have me, you can endure the emotional swings. If you have me, you can get through the anxiousness and the depression. Yes, it will be hard, but, but, but you won't be utterly undone. Jesus says, I'm the bread that satisfies. I'll close with this. Rankin Wilburn um, is a pastor out in L.A. Uh, and he wrote a book last year that was my favorite book of the year. I read about three books a year, so that's not saying a lot. But um, it was a great book. It's called Union with Christ. And he talks about a friend of his who used to dress up as Mickey Mouse and go to Disney. And and she was the one who would walk around and be happy all the time. And um, reflecting on her time at Disney, she said this. Growing up, I thrived on behavior modification. I thought, if I'm good, I will be loved. If I'm bad, I will be rejected. I learned to wear a mask, not to show what was really going on. My core beliefs were that I was not worthy, accepted, or loved, so I would clamor and manufacture ways to elicit positive responses I wanted from people. When I put on Mickey's costume, I got that positive response times a hundred. What she would go on to say is she felt so safe and loved when she was covered in Mickey's costume. Jesus here is saying something even better than that. He's saying, it's not something you have to put on 
It's something you take in. It's not a magic costume that that you take off from time to time and slip in and out of. He's saying, you can have me if you believe in me, if you believe that I am the God who was broken so that you could be made whole, if I'm the one who went to the cross and died for your sins so that you can be declared righteous and your sins forgiven, if you can take that into you with even just a tiny little bite of faith, he's saying, it'll change you. I will change you. You will feel different. You will be different. He will satisfy you. It's an invitation. And He's asking you to the meal. Take Him and eat. Let's pray.